Amen. Amen. I don't think there's any better prayer I've ever heard in my life. Thank you. Thank you for praying. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Awesome. So with that being said, let's get into scripture. In Mark chapter 7, 31, uh, it says here, you know what, let me just read the whole thing so we know what's going to happen and we're not surprised. Mark chapter 7, verse 31 says, Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of the Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And uh, he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, uh, that is, be opened. I don't know how to pronounce that word because PH, PH doesn't go together. I have no idea how you're supposed to say that word. But immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded uh, that them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Jesus, please teach us what this means today. So the first part, we're going to just break it down. It says, again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of Decapolis and the Sea of Galilee. This was a very, very long walk that Jesus took. He journeyed up through uh, Israel. He was now outside of Israel in Tyre and Sidon, and he decides to walk all the way around to Israel in a journey that could have taken up to eight months. Could you imagine walking eight months with somebody? That is a long walk. Jesus is doing this to spend a lot of time outside of Israel. He's spending it with his disciples. They're not in cities. They're in the country. So Jesus was a country boy. I love that. <laughs> but they were spending a lot of time in the country with Gentiles, people who were not Jews. And that is probably the, if you, if you were a, Jew, a nice little Jewish boy and you were signing up for a trip, going on a trip to see a bunch of Gentiles was the worst kind of trip you could take because they didn't like Gentiles. And so, uh, but what Jesus is doing is he's planting a seed in the, in the disciples' heart that Gentiles are not that bad. In fact, I love them. And these, this seed, after Jesus dies and rises from the dead, and the disciples are scattered throughout the whole world, this seed will eventually grow into the missionary heartbeat of the church. Going out to the lost, praying for the lost in China or in any other country or wherever you got, uh, you know, wherever you're connected. Jesus is changing their hearts and he knows how to do it. By spending this time with them, he loves these people and he's rubbing off on his disciples. If you want to have a heart of love for people, spend some time considering how much Jesus loves them. That's what they were doing. Jesus would walk by, a Gentile would come up to him, and Jesus would love this Gentile. And his disciples would say, you're weird. But then the next day he would do the same thing. And they would say, yeah, that's weird. And then the next day he'd do the same thing, and the Gentiles are like, oh, Jesus is always doing this. It's kind of normal now. And that's what's going on. And, and we might think of people and, and have prejudged, uh, preconceived notions. We judge people. We think that they're mean, but Jesus still loves them. We think that they're wrong, 
like politically or with this certain idea that they're wrong, but Jesus still loves them. We might think that they're different, but he still loves them. We might think that they're not like me and it makes me uncomfortable, but Jesus still loves them. We might think that they're weird, but Jesus still loves them. So let's see what happens. They brought him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hands on them. This was a disability of deafness and dumbness, we call it, that uh, was very looked down upon in that culture. They thought you were a bad person, and so God cursed you. That's why you are the way that you are. You deserved what you got, or an evil spirit was against you, so no one wanted to get in the crossfire of of whatever evil spirit was making you deaf and not able to speak. It was just difficult to deal with, and people thought you were stupid. And that's not very nice, right? But that's, this guy who is deaf, he feels like people have given up on him. He feels alone, probably like most people with disabilities. He feels misunderstood. He feels like everything is against him. And he's probably confused when some people out of nowhere start grabbing him and pushing him and pulling him towards some guy that doesn't look like any of the people that he knows. And the word for impediment here in Greek is very, very interesting because it's the only time this word is used in the whole New Testament. And in fact, there's only one other time in the whole Bible in the Old Testament that it's used, and it's in Isaiah 35. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you and tell me if you think this connects with our story. Isaiah 35, verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For the water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. What do you think? Do they go together? Totally, right? That verse in Isaiah is a prophecy of who Jesus would be, what he would do, the Messiah. So here's the question for you. Do you believe that verse? Do you have faith in that verse? It's God's word. It's his promise. So I am giving you permission today to believe that verse. Mark wants us to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of every wonderful promise and prophecy that's in the Old Testament, okay? And and it's not just for good little Jewish girls and boys, but for anybody who would come to him. So the question for you guys is, are you coming to him? Are you really coming to him? Am I really coming to him? I hate this question, but something inside me and probably inside you cries out saying, search my heart, Lord. Do you have that experience? Lord, was I really wrong today when I did this? Lord, search my heart. That is the Holy Spirit working in you. We can look at it. Look at my life. Look at your life. What are we really hoping in? What are we really believing? Are we really trusting in his promises of his word? Or are we trusting in our own prom- our own promise, our own efforts, our own abilities? You've, you guys have heard faith without works is dead, right? So our works reveal what kind of faith we have. Our works don't save us, but they show what's inside us. So do we use our energy on self things? That shows that we have deep inside faith in self. Do we spend our time drawing near to Jesus in humility? 
That shows that we have faith in Jesus. We believe Jesus matters and that he is real. Do we live our lives doing everything we want, never denying self and never serving others? That's a self thing. Obviously, that shows our real heart has faith in self, in my plan, my will. That's what I want to do. Or do we surrender our lives and consider others as more important and better than ourselves? That shows faith in Christ, his plan and his will. And that's what it means when it says faith without works is dead, right? So now we see uh, Jesus, how Jesus responds to this uh, deaf man's faith, or actually the faith of the people that brought him. It says, he took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers in his ears, spat on his tongue and touched his tongue, and then he looked up to heaven, sighed, and said to him, Aphathathra, which means be opened. Jesus does something strange, right? Different. He seems to always do different things. He, uh, sometimes he speaks to heal. Other times he touches people. Other times he makes mud and spits on, you know, with his spit and rubs it on their face. Other times people just touch his robe. So what does this all mean? Well, what's the common denominator in every single situation? Jesus is the common denominator. He is the one. He's the constant. The only one that is the source of healing and salvation. Anyone who comes to him is healed. Do you know in the, in the Gospels, there is never a person who comes to Jesus that is not healed. It doesn't matter how lame they were. It doesn't matter how dumb they were. It doesn't matter how blind they were. Every single person is healed. We can't think that it will look or feel the way that we expect it to be, but we can believe that we will receive what Jesus wants to give us, and he will heal us. He hates it when we get religiously rigid and think he can only work a certain way, huh? So we got to try to be flexible uh, when understanding how Jesus is going to work in our lives. So let's, let's break down what Jesus does real quick right here, uh, just verse, like phrase by phrase. It says he took him aside from the multitude. So Jesus takes this hurting, confused, frustrated man, and he gets him alone. He gets alone with him. Jesus takes him away from everything and everyone that could possibly help him. Why do you think Jesus would do that? So that Jesus could be his only hope. So that this man would know that nobody else is there. Jesus wants him to leave the crowd. And Jesus wants to get alone with him. He, he knows that we can so easily be distracted and influenced by others. But he loves us and wants us to deal with him directly alone. So my question to you is, do you get alone with Jesus? And how? How do you get alone with Jesus? Those are great questions. I want you to think about those questions and, and get alone with Jesus and talk to him about being alone with him and what that means. Secondly, he put his fingers in his ears and spat and touched his tongue. And this, as anyone knows, is sign language. Just kidding. It's not official sign language. But this actually is the first version of sign language that we see in the Bible. This is a form of sign language for this man. 
Jesus isn't annoyed or bothered. I knew this would be your favorite sermon. That's why I'm glad you're here. So uh, he's not annoyed or bothered by this man's disability. Jesus knows how to communicate with him. He loves him. I'm going to totally pick on you. So Dana went to college for deaf ministry. And so she is an interpreter to deaf people. And why do you think she did that? Because I'm not deaf, or she didn't really know anyone that was deaf, but Dana had a heart for deaf people. She, she saw their value, and she loved them, and so she wanted to become an interpreter so that they could have the Word of God and worship uh, that they could understand. And um, Jesus knows this man, and Jesus wants to heal him. Jesus wanted to communicate to him what he was doing and why he was doing it. And, and spit wasn't gross back then. Did you know that? It's totally gross now. Do not spit on me. But in that culture, spit was connected with the idea of healing. Saliva was a healing thing. Like dogs lick their wounds and it's supposedly better than, I don't know. It can kill the coronavirus or whatever. All right, so that's what he does. He sticks it. He's, he's telling this guy, hey, your ears, I'm going to fix it, and your tongue, I'm going to heal it. He's telling this guy what he's going to do. He's probably got this really goofy smile on his face saying, this is going to be great. You're going to love this, deaf guy. Then it says he looks up to heaven. Why do you think Jesus would do that? You bet. Jesus has his attention. His fingers are in his ear, and he's touching his tongue. He spits on him, and he looks up to heaven, and this guy is like, what is going to happen? But he's communicating to this guy where he's going to receive this healing from, from his heavenly Father. He's teaching this guy brilliantly what it looks like to trust in a heavenly father for what is needed on earth. Jesus enters heaven's courts on behalf of this man, and he calls on his father to provide the healing that that this guy needs. What a beautiful picture. But now let's read Romans 8.34 and think about us. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes also intercession for us. Meaning Jesus is always praying for us, doing the same thing that he did for this guy. He's doing it for us. So here's the question for you. Why does it always work when when we come to Jesus? Why does God answer Jesus' prayers? Because Jesus is going to the Father for us And the Father has already promised Jesus that he will give him whatever he asks for. So their relationship, the Father and the Son, is the reason why you can have confidence when you pray. But I'm an idiot. Exactly. If it depended on us, would our prayers ever get answered? No, not at all. But because it depends on Jesus and his faithfulness to the Father, and we are in Christ by faith, when we pray, Jesus takes our prayer and he brings it before the Father. And that is the most wonderfully confidence-building 
thing when it comes to prayer. The father cannot ignore his son. Do you think the father would ignore anything Jesus says? Absolutely not. He will do what Jesus asks. He's given the whole world to Jesus. Why would he deny him any simple request that we bring? So Jesus encourages us to come to God through him. That's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. Ever, anyone ever thought those were magic words? That we, if you say in Jesus' name, amen, that means God has to listen to you because they're magic words. No, that's not how it works, right? It means, Jesus, I'm putting this in your hands because I trust you. I want what your will is, not my own. So if I've prayed something totally stupid, please change my words into something awesome and take it to the Father for me. That's what it means. Isn't that a much better way to think of in Jesus' name? Now we don't don't think it's magic words. You're welcome. All right, so then the next words are in our scripture, he sighed. And in Greek, this means he groaned like a horse. I don't know, anyone want to demonstrate? Kids, 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 everyone, as loud as you can, tell me, what does a, a horse sound like? What does a horse do? Cloppy clop? What? <laughs> I don't know why Jesus did that. But I have a feeling that when Jesus speaks with his father, that he is filled with compassion for the person that he's praying for. That I have a feeling that if you want a heart for the lost and the broken and the disabled people, that you should go pray for them. And, and spend some time really bringing their needs before God, and God will give you this gift of mercy, a compassionate heart, and you will start to be like, oh, man, whatever that is. You will feel it deep down in this area. And then he says to him, which means be opened. So the Bible records these healing words of Jesus, not because they're magic words. There are no such thing as magic words. It doesn't exist, right? But these are words of faith that Jesus is saying. That's the difference. They're not magic words. They're words that Jesus is speaking with a faith relationship in his Father. Jesus really believed that his Father would answer this prayer. Why? Because Jesus lived with faith in his Father. And Jesus is teaching us what real faith is. Is is the real reason why we don't pray because we really don't want to be disappointed when God doesn't answer our prayers? Well, Jesus promised that he would give an answer to our prayers, that he would provide all that I need. So am I going to trust him? Or maybe the real reason why we don't pray is because we know we aren't living the life God wants us to, so it seems hypocritical to ask God for anything when we screw up so much. Anyone relate to that? Well, Jesus takes our place so that we're forgiven and God doesn't look at our failures, but rather our faith in Jesus. So I'm getting to the point that no matter what your excuse is for not praying, the answer is Jesus. He fixes that problem. How about maybe it's that we don't even want God to interfere with our lives because we will just get through somehow on our own. We're really, we really are that distrusting that we would rather try to get through life on our own than go to God for help. 
But Jesus invites us to surrender to God's will and to be adopted into God's family. And yes, that means that we'll require a total surrender and a, and a pick up your cross and follow me. But Jesus says, it doesn't have to be about your will. It can be about my Father's kingdom. Jesus is the answer to each one of the reasons why we don't pray. I'm not trying to guilt you into praying more. In fact, that never works, right? You should be praying more. Of course, yes. But there's reasons why. And it's a connection with Jesus. It's our relationship with Jesus that fixes these things. So moving on, it says, Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loose and he spoke plainly. So Jesus secures healing for this man just like he will for you. He gets an answer from heaven. He didn't figure it out on earth. He got his answer from heaven. And then he commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he does all things well, and he makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And this last part shows that in general, people liked Jesus, but they didn't obey him. The people were impressed by Jesus, but they did not surrender to him. And this is the difference in closing between admiration and adoration. Do you admire Jesus or do you adore Jesus? The only difference is the desire to follow. The desire to follow. I think Jesus is great. I think he's a wonderful teacher. I think he's a great man. But do you follow him? Do you follow him? I, I can tell who you follow by what you spend your time on. By what you, if you're, if you're waking up in the morning and you say, Jesus, lead me. I want to follow you. Well, how do you do that? You open your Bible and read. You pray. Well, I, I, follow, I follow Jesus. I go to church. So does Satan. I follow Jesus. I live in America. So does Satan. Just kidding, I don't know. Well, what do you want from me? This question, do you admire Jesus or do you adore Jesus? This is not a job to do. This is not a way to be accepted by God. This is a test. Are you a Jesus liker or a Jesus follower? It doesn't matter if we agree that Jesus was awesome. Are we following him to the cross? Well, I love that all the kids are in here because they get to see their parents stand up and praise the Lord. So let's, let's stand up and pray and, and give the Lord our attention for one last song. And Jared's going to come up and lead us and Emma. And let me say one last thing. Following Jesus is the most exciting and thrilling thing in the world. So I encourage every single one of you, open up the word and ask Jesus to lead you, and he will. And it might take you in crazy places. You never know what's going to happen, but he will always lead you. He promises to do that. So let's pray, and then let's worship the Lord. 
Father, we thank you for your love and your grace in our lives, and we ask you to, uh, to, to open our hearts so we can understand what your scriptures taught us today. I thank you for the trials that you've brought and the flood that you brought to our uh, church so that we can just spend more to time together as family and our kids together with us. It's awesome to see uh, what you're doing. Lord, we pray that you would provide for our needs. You would open doors that no man could shut, and you would shut doors no man can open. And God, we praise you, Jesus, for being our, our, uh, our life, for being our sacrifice on the cross that pays for our sins. Jesus, I pray that if anyone here has been just a Jesus-liker and not a Jesus-adorer, Father, that you would do a change in our hearts. That, God, we would be transformed into, um, you would put in our hearts a desire to follow you. That there would be obedience in our lives. We cannot make that happen. All we can do right now here in this moment is confess that we don't even want to obey all the time. And yet you still love us. You still give us grace. But yet, Father, we ask that you would change what we want, change our life, give us obedience by your grace. We humbly confess we are broken and selfish most of the time in our lives, but we need you to transform us. And we trust and believe that you will answer our prayers. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you. But not nearly as much as you love us. So we're going to sing to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.